0: Amen. Everybody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, Everybody say Maranatha. Maranatha. You know what that means? Does anybody know? Maranatha. Lord come quickly. Amen. That's what it means, literally. I found that out when I first got saved. I heard everybody saying Maranatha, like what the heck is that? (laughs) It means Lord come quickly. Isn't it funny how Christianity has their own own language? Yeah, it's just, and it's great inside the church, isn't it? It doesn't always work too well out in, the, in the, natu- the world, but, you know, so it's okay to speak Christianity in here, but when we leave, we should pay attention to our, you know, our communication, because we want people to hear what we got to say, and if we're saying stuff that they don't really get, like Maranatha, you know, like, what is that? <laughs> Ooh, Thank you, Lord. So, um, bless the people who are out there at Patterson Farms. And if you're not planning on going, you should replan because the barbecue is going to be really good and hopefully the size that you bring will be good. We'll see about that. But if they're not, you can just eat a lot of barbecue because I know I smelled it this morning when I pulled up. Like, whoa, it's being cooked right up here at Ryan Mead's house. So... It smells really good. So bless those guys who've been up all night cooking. <laughs> you literally, literally there you had to stay up all night to cook that stuff. So, but it's well worth it. All right, I'm going to read uh, Revelation chapter two, verse one through three, uh, and this is where um, you know the Lord's messages to the seven churches in Revelation, and this is uh, the first three verses of his message to the church at Ephesus. He said, To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved, persevered, and had patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. And that's really beautiful, isn't it? What the Lord just told that church. Um, so, you know, of course I didn't read the part that most people are familiar with on purpose, because I think it's important to kind of really get a a better view of the book of Revelation, because the book of Revelation, I probably say this word, is probably the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, divisive, and scary book in the Bible, wouldn't you agree? It really is. There's actually uh, four main uh, views on the book of Revelation, and I'm going to tell you what they are, uh, and not that I agree with any of these perspectives 100%, some of it, but one of them is most of it was fulfilled during the Roman Empire. That would be sad, wouldn't it? Uh, You know, the New Jerusalem came down and we missed it. It, they did say most of it, so they gave themselves some, some fudge room in there. It has been fulfilled throughout history and is continuing to be fulfilled. That's another one. A lot of people believe those seven churches represent church ages, like the Church of Ephesus is the first church age. And we got stuck with the Church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And that's how a lot of people see that. I don't, I don't really believe that myself. I believe a lot of it can apply, but I don't personally hold that that's the interpretation and I don't believe it was fulfilled during the Roman Empire Uh, another view is chapter 3 and on are yet to be fulfilled in other words nothing when you once you hit chapter 3 it has not been fulfilled in the rest of it there's a lot of truth in that here's the probably the worst one there is it's all symbolic and may have some fulfillment throughout history (laughs) that's pitiful isn't it <laughs> yeah, that's explaining the way the word of God. I think, but so. But what if uh, if we thought about Revelation a little bit different um, and asked, you know, perhaps that God has a different view of it than we do in, in these four views. And I would imagine everybody in this room has a little bit of a different view of it. But you know, we all have a bias, right? When we read the Bible, we have a bias about everything. We, we have a view about everything. And perhaps God wants to shift our bias some when it concerns this book. Perhaps he wants to help us to step back and maybe take a, a different look at it, uh, maybe from a broader perspective than we're used to. I think most of us focus more on the end time events, right? I mean, that's normal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, and, and those are really important Um, But, you know, there's a greater message in this book than just end time events. There's more in this book than I I was pretty shocked at really how I got and even the reason I'm talking to you about out of this book over the past few weeks is you know, we went through the last couple years of the the pandemic, and now we're facing an America that we don't really, that we've never lived in before. Literally we it's like our government has turned against us in some ways. You know, they may have always been against us, it just now has come out. But so so we're living in a different world and and the church is in a different world, you know, and and the last thing that we want to do is try to go back to the way it was before the pandemic. Although that would be a very comfortable place to go to, but I'll tell you, is that place doesn't exist anymore. And we have to move forward, and we have to move forward in the world we live in. Because the worst thing, Cheryl, I'm glad to see you today. I just want to, everybody turn around and say, Cheryl, Cheryl. Be, healed. be healed. She has a miracle. The Lord healed her. Let's give the Lord glory for healing Cheryl this way. Yeah, we want to hear that. Maybe you can share that soon, soon, your testimony. But I just noticed you. Now I forgot what I was saying. Well, that's it, you know. Right. So, and we want to live in a world, thank you. Stacey's on top of her game. We, we want to be a church that can speak to the world. God did not take us out of the world and isolate us in this world, isolate us from the troubles of the world. He's let us experience those things because in us is the answer. Okay, so we walk in the same places. I love Ezekiel. There's a verse in Ezekiel that says, I sat where they sat. That's what Ezekiel, he talked about the, the, the people the, the, who had been taken captives. I sat where they sat. In other words, I sat in that, that place of sorrow, that place of horror, of being drug out of Israel, my, my homeland, and stuck in this, other, in this foreign land as a, as a captain, as a prisoner. And yet he had this amazing ministry, and we have this amazing book called the book of Ezekiel, because he sat where they sat. So the Lord allows the church to sit in this world where the world sits, so the church can have some answers. We're not there to sit and just wallow in the mud like everybody else has in the sorrow and the disappointment, but to, to, to have answers, to have God and to bring God's presence into this terrible world as we sit and experience those troubles ourselves. But in us, we're overcomers. We have this power in us to overcome these things, And that's one of the greatest verses in the book of Revelation. They overcame, well, by the blood and, you know, the word of their testimony and not loving their lives unto death. Anyways, that's pretty good. So, anyways, what I'm trying to say is I was just looking for answers. My sound like, Lord, how do we go forward? And so this grand thought came in my little brain. Wow, there were seven churches in the book of Revelation that we're going through different difficulties, I bet there's something in there that might help us. Okay? That's, that was my thought. It was just a simple, I, I bet there's something in the book of Revelation. And, but I thought before I begin to read about those churches, I probably should read chapter one, right? You know, and then I began to see this amazing revelation of Christ in chapter 1. It was the Jesus, really, I didn't really know in lots of ways. I'd never taken the time in my life to ponder this person that Revelation 1 reveals. That it reveals a Jesus that is not exactly like the Jesus in the Gospels. It reveals not the Jesus who was just resurrected. It reveals the Jesus who has ascended. That's the, the Jesus that he is today. It's profound when John says, the, gospel, the book of John, where he says, when we see him, we will be like him. We will be shocked what God has in store for us. We, if we, I, I've said this a few times. We would absolutely, we could preach all, what would be considered heresy to most people if we begin to tell them who God, what God has for us, who God wants us to become. It's because you, we look into this person of Christ and there's something in him that wants us to become like him in all his glory, in all his beauty, in all his perfection. That is beyond our, that's why Paul said, it's, it's, it's uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has in store for those who love him. And God has beginning to release little glimpses of that. Just a little it's, it's almost like it's, he's wetting our appetite for more, y'all. There's more of God. There's more of Jesus Christ. There's more to know of him than we per- currently know. And God is going to reveal himself to the church, and that is what's going to change us. Nothing else will change us. Nothing else will transform us. It says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that we look in a, in a, uh, we look in a mirror dimly. But then face to face. And we're transformed by this dim look. We're transformed from glory to glory. That's what it says. Second Corinthians 3. By looking at the Lord Jesus in a dim way, like a, a, an old mirror from the ancient time, which wasn't like your mirror that you look in every day. And you probably should be happy because <laughs> you might not like what you're looking at. Anybody, anybody know how have shrinking mirrors? You know, if you're real overweight, like I need a mirror that makes me look skinny. Or if you're real skinny, I need a mirror that makes me look muscular, right? Anyways, well, I know y'all ain't like that. Y'all always look in the mirror and think, how glorious I am. Yeah, amen, especially Dean. (laughs) Anyways, so that's how I got started here, looking for answers. Looking for answers because there's answers in this book. There's answers for our future. Okay, there's answers for our moment hidden in this book. And if we can unlock those answers. And, hey, somebody give them a seat back there. They shouldn't have to stand up back there. Help them get a seat, somebody, please. There's three people. Yeah. I'm sorry if I'm being distracted. I just don't want people to to stand up. They don't have to, right? Yeah, come on. Okay, well, let me give you a quick little overview uh, i got to get done. I said, I'm going to do this real fast. i got to hurry because Becky has threatened me. Like, you will not talk along today. <laughs> and now she's gone, though, so she can't do anything about it. <laughs> uh, here's an overview. Here's, here's what each of these letters, basically, basically. There's a little, little bit of differences, but mostly. There's an uh, introduction. There's seven letters, seven churches. There's an introduction to each letter. And cry, listen to this. This is very important, y'all. Not only for these letters, but it's very important for us. In each of these letters, Christ introduces himself in a different way. He does not introduce himself the same way to every church. He introduces himself in the way that what that church needs. What they need at that moment. They need a revelation of him at that moment. Listen, I've said this a million times. This has been one one of my best and best truths that God has ever given me is that God reveals himself to you and I in the way he wants us to know him in this moment. He doesn't reveal himself in a way he doesn't want you to know him. Do y'all have that? I used to use the example of Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua spent all these years with Moses as his assistant soaking in the presence of the Lord just hanging out in the tabernacle, soaking in all the glory of God, then Joshua becomes the guy. He's in the promised land, and how does God come to him? God doesn't come to him in a way of rest, in a way of soaking, a way of just being in under the glory. He comes to him as a warrior, as a soldier. Why did he come to Joshua like that? Because, Joshua, you're fixing to go into a time of warfare, and you need to see me like that so you can accomplish what you're supposed to do. Are y'all getting that? And that's, and if you can see this over and over and over in the book of Revelation, to those seven churches, every one of them, he reveals himself different because each one of them had a need. Each one of them had something that they needed from him. They needed that revelation of him so they could live out. "Mm, Sorry about that, Scott. Well, I got Scott Forsythe sitting up here. That's dangerous because he knows way more about the book of Revelation than I do. (laughs) He really does. He knows a lot about it. and So y'all can ask God if what I'm telling you is true or not. The next, so That's the first thing. The next thing is a description of the condition of the church. He praised them for their successes mostly, okay, and brought up their issues and told them, hey, you got a problem. He, he didn't hold back. He told them what their problems were and how to correct their failures. So he praises them. Tells them what their failures are and says, this is the way you need to fix your failures. He absolutely is clear to them. And then he gives a promise and a blessing to those who would hear him. Every time. If you'll hear me, if you'll hear what my heart's saying, there's a blessing connected to this. And you will become an overcomer, but you've got to hear. Now, this is another important point that I want to give you. That I think is really great, myself personally speaking. Each one of them, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. He says that to every, every church, he says that. He who has an ear. Well, here's the question of questions. I don't know about y'all. My question to God is, How the heck? Do I get this ear? What does what does that really mean to have an ear to hear? I mean, I know what it means in my brain, but my heart, because I desperately want to hear this. I desperately want to be a person that hears the Lord. Are, are you all with me on this? So I got this scripture here I was reading, and I shared it in our, our video. I want to read it to you again because it just really... I think it captures how we become hearers, how our hearts can open up to hear God talk to us. And when God speaks, we'll know it. When somebody else speaks, we will know that difference. that was God, that wasn't God. And that's what the world needs. They need people that can hear God. Amen. And God wants us to hear Him because God's talking. But th- listen to this, and I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation. It's Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. It says, throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors. Isn't that amazing? Throughout our history. I just love that. By his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. That sounds cool, right? I mean, yeah. But there's something better. But unto us living in these last days, that's us. We're those us's, Right? God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. Wow, a language of a son, and it goes on, the appointed heir of, all things, for, of everything, for through him God created the panorama of all things and all time. But I want you to focus on this language of a son. If you really want to hear the Lord, if you want to hear the Lord consistently, it all has to do with being a son. It all to, has to do with understanding that you have a God who is a father to you. And as you begin to know him as a father, this is how it works. You begin to know him as a father. And as you begin to know him as your father, I'm talking about revelation knowledge, not, not brain knowledge, because that don't help nothing. As you know him as a father, it begins to reveal to you that you're a son. You begin to realize who you are. You begin to realize that you belong to this father. See, you will never really know our true identity apart from knowing his identity because he's our creator, right? He's our dad. He's our father. And as we begin to know that in the truest sense, I'm talking about in a real sense, I'm not talking about a theological sense because you can know this theologically. You can know this, but it won't change you. It won't do nothing for you. It will only frustrate you because it won't work. And you'll think the Bible don't work. You'll think God doesn't work. But if you will know that God's a father to you, you will begin to know yourself as a son. And then you'll begin to hear him. You'll begin to hear what he's saying. Then you can begin to interpret your life in accordance to what you're hearing versus, versus somebody else giving you a narrative. Because the world gives you a narrative. The devil gives you a narrative. And even the church has given us a narrative. But God has his own narrative. Narrative. He has a narrative that he wants us to hear. And we're not hearing it out there. But you can begin to hear it on the inside. You can begin to hear him speak to you and let you know who you really are. Then, this is what happens. When stuff happens to you that ain't good, like you get rejected, like you get left out, like something doesn't work in your life, when something doesn't seem to line up, you can, you'll see it different. You'll think about it different. You won't begin to accuse God. You won't begin to hate your brothers. You will not begin to think, woe is me. What's wrong with me? What did I do? Those thoughts will come, but you will know those thoughts are not from the Lord. You'll be able to take those thoughts captive and throw them back into hell where they came from. You won't allow those thoughts to nest in your head. You know, that old saying, you know, you can't stop the birds from flying over, but you can stop them from nesting there. That's talking about all the doubt, all the unbelief, All the lies when we begin to realize that we are truly sons of the King, of the Lord of Heaven, then we can begin to know who we are and we can begin to understand life. And we can look out there in the world and see what's happening, okay, and see it from God's perspective. That's what we desperately need. We desperately need. That's the kind of prophetic voices that we need released into earth now. Anyways, well, I thought that was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to give you a little background on the church at Ephesus, okay? Uh, which is power. It, this is the f- church that's known most uh, in the seven churches, by the way. There's more known about this church. Obviously, we have a, a, a another book in the Bible called the Book of Ephesians that Paul wrote to, that, which is the same church. It's, the, you know, it's not a different one. It's the same church. And so it was one of the, like, the more, like th- if you study the Book of Acts you'll see there's like three very prominent churches in the book of Acts. There's the mother church, Jerusalem. There's the mission church, Antioch. And there's the Holy Ghost. There's the Holy Ghost church called the church at Ephesus. It's one of the most powerful churches. in The the greatest revival in the book of Acts is not in Acts 2. It is not Jerusalem. Jerusalem did not have the greatest revival. Ephesus had the greatest revival. You go read uh, Acts 18, 19, and 20. There was a revival that happened in that city, okay? And it says that people came with their books of witchcraft and their idols and stuff, and they said it's worth, in today's terms, I've heard these different numbers, from $5 million to $7 million worth of items that were burned because the move of the Holy Spirit in that city. And this great church was birthed. Paul being the founder of the church, okay? Y'all have heard the term, the people Aquila and Priscilla? Y'all have heard of them? They were like workers. They ministered in the church. There's another man named Apollos, the Bible brings out, who the Bible says he was mighty in the scriptures. He ministered there. Later, Timothy became the leader of the church. Timothy, Paul's son. And then guess who was the final leader that we know about? The Apostle John. I mean, think about a church that had all of that going for them. They had everything going for them. And guess who their most honored member was? This is the ultimate member of a church. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was part of that church. I mean, good Lord, what are you? I mean, you, that's the best of the best. I mean, you don't get any better than that. You got John the apostle ministering there. You had Paul who started it. You got a man mighty in the scriptures imparting the word of God there. I mean, you know, it's like the who's who. Of, you know, it's like take all the best churches you ever heard of and and wrap them all together. And that was the church that they were. Such a very very powerful church. Well, the city was pretty wicked, right? It was the city of Ephesus was known for immorality and idolatry. There was this. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, there was a, uh, a temple of Diana. Diana was this figure, they claim she was a fertility goddess. Uh, really weird, had like all these many breasts, okay. Uh, yeah, lots of them, not just two, okay. Just, just, just go ahead and settle that, that's weird. There were several of them, maybe nine or something, ten. I don't know. I didn't count them, but I looked at pictures of them. I just thought it was weird. So, so if you want to go to worship, guess what you did when people went to worship? This is literally what they did. They went to worship. They went to have sex with men and women that were there who worked in this temple. That was their worship. It was that wicked. It was that lewd. Literally, they would have these festivals, and, and I know this is kind of hard to hear, but we need to really understand the culture that they were living in. They were, they would people would get so, men would get so worked up that they would literally castrate themselves so they could become priests because all the priests were, you know, in that situation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That's the wickedness that was there in that city that these believers were dealing with. And that would you know, it even mentions a, a riot that happened one of the silversmiths went after Paul and them guys because they were losing business. People were getting saved, and they were losing business because people would buy these little silver idols that these craftsmen made and take them in their houses so they could worship this Diana and they were losing money because of the gospel, and so they went after these guys, these Christians, and really you know tried to inflict some bad stuff on them. You, you can read all that it's, all that 's in the Bible but this this uh Temple was huge. It was one and a half times as long as a football field. had like, I think, 127 pillars that held it up. It was an amazing, one of the wonders of the ancient world. But there was another, there was another temple there. There was a, a Roman emperor that built a temple there. Now, this is really where it gets really interesting. Okay, I want you to hear this. This Roman emperor... Uh, was a very, you know, you've heard of Nero. He's the guy who burned Rome and claimed, blamed it on Christians. So Christian, and that's where persecution started. He was the absolute worst Roman emperor ever. But there was this other guy. His name was Dominicus. And he was absolutely wicked. And he built a temple there. And he, was, and he really went after it. You're going to worship me. That was his demand. You will worship me. You will not go, you cannot even enter the marketplace Okay, They had a big marketplace. It wasn't like here where you got a shopping center here or a shopping center. They had one main huge marketplace. And because it was a seaport city, they had goods from all over the world. This city, Ephesus, was, would be like New York or, or London or Beijing. It was like a major city in the world. At that time, it was like a major city. And for all this trade and all these goods, well, this, this uh, Roman emperor went after it. And said, you will not enter this marketplace. In other words, you will not buy and sell unless you come in and there's this incense thing. You would break the incense off and you would put it in there and acknowledge with your mouth that Dominicus was Lord of all. That's what these Christians begin to face there. This mighty church had a mighty move of God. Okay? And now they find themselves... Slowly being squeezed, squeezed, squeezed. That's what they were facing, okay? We blister them. We have blistered, the church has blistered that church for years about what Paul, what Jesus said their problem was. But we've never thought about the situation they're living in. We never thought about the tragedy they were facing. They couldn't participate. You couldn't go to your neighbor's for a barbecue because the food was all, came from Diana's thing, You know, I mean, you were slowly but surely being isolated. And then the the, the big knockout blow was, was John, the guy leading it. He was taken captive and shipped off to the island of Patmos. So they, it's, it's like they've lost everything. They lost it all. They lost the revival. They lost everything that God had done. I mean, I'm trying to put you in their place of where they were at at that moment in time. The pain that they were suffering, and they, and, and, and they were being squeezed harder and harder by Rome, and being pushed to the margins, more and more. Just and that is our future. Ephesus is our future, guys. Unless God intervenes, but one day it will be our future because we know it says it. But it may be we may have begun. I don't know, but I'm not claiming that. But I'll tell you this: they were being squeezed, and they were having to make some hard decisions, some really hard decisions. I mean, really, are y'all with this? Anyways, Lord help, right? So, anyways, this is what he said. I wanted to read this. These things, says he who holds, wow, this is so powerful. Listen, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand. One thing that, let me tell you about that Emperor Dominicus one thing that happened to him, he, he actually claimed he was a god. He claimed he was a god. He, I think he believed it. Okay? But one of the things, he had a, had a child, and the child died. You know what he did? He deified the child. In other words, he made the child a god. He cre- there's a Roman coin. You can see it today. And the Roman coin has a globe on it, like the world. Okay? And on top of the globe is his child that died. Listen. And around the edges of the coin are seven stars. See, we think, when we talk about holding the seven stars, we have a picture in our mind. I promise you, when those people heard that, he who holds the seven stars in his hand, I promise you it helped them. Because in a sense, it was saying to them people, and that time Jesus was saying, I got control over this guy, Dominicus. I got control. I got those seven stars right here in my hand. In other words, he, they needed to hear something. They were hurting. They were pushed to the side. And, he, and Jesus was coming to them. He wasn't coming to them angry. He was not coming to them to reject them. He wasn't coming to them to beat down on them because of their, of their issues. He was coming to say, I hold all this in my hands. That's what I want you to know about me. I want you to know um, I'm in control. You need to know this. You're going through a hard time. You're going through a difficult time. But you need to know that's me. And then he says, isn't that cool though? I just love that about the Lord. I mean, i love God to do that for me. Have you ever been in a time when you felt like you needed God to come and tell you, Don't worry. I've got this. And I've got you. You don't have to worry about this. And that's what he was saying to them. I've got you in this mess. And then he says, He who walks in the midst of the seven golden lamps, And, of course, we know the others meaning. So let me just say this. So Revelation is not all about symbolic stuff. Okay? It meant something to those people. And it needs to mean something to us today. He wants it not just to be like a bunch of symbolisms and stuff. but And I'm into the symbolism. I mean, I'm good with it. But it's, it was meaningful to those people. Powerfully meaningful to those people. Whew, Lord help, right? Yes, sir. He said, I walk among you. That's what it, who, I walk among you. I love that. I'm present with you. That's what that says. I'm present with you. You know, that's what we need to hear. I'm with you. Don't we need to hear that? Don't we need to hear that in our bad moments? Don't we need to hear that in our, our disappointing moments? The Lord's saying, no, I'm, I'm walking right along with you. I'm with you. I've got this thing in my hand. And that's what he was trying to get. That's the message he wanted that church to hear before they heard anything else, before they heard the good stuff, and before they heard the bad stuff. He wanted, and Dean is offended. <laughs> I'm just joking. He's got to go help. So... He walks among the churches, y'all, and he walks among the churches today. As bad as we are, as bad as we may feel at times, I promise you the Lord is walking amongst us. And when we gather as a people, that's why gathering's important. When we gather as a people, he gathers with us. And sometimes he lets us know. Sometimes he lets us in on it that he's walking amongst us. Sometimes, not always, sometimes we don't feel it, sometimes we don't sense it, but he is. He's walking amongst us. And he'll always walk amongst the churches because he loves the churches. And he's got a dream for the church. He's got a vision for the churches, for the church. Amen? Amen. Okay. Oh Lord, help. i got to hurry up now. I told Becky I'd be done by now, so I'm going to finish. Okay. The next thing I wanted to say, I want to read verse 2 and 3 again. This is where he affirms them and comforts them for their diligent work and perseverance and standing for the truth. That would be something we need to kind of get, Right. Standing for the truth. We don't really have a lot of that today. It don't seem like, right? Christians fold pretty easy. But this is what he said. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. It's powerful. See, he was he was saying this is a good thing, y'all. He wasn't saying this, y'all, you did all this, but none of it meant anything. You know, he was saying, no, this is a good thing. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and found them liars. And <laughs> that's, that's pretty serious. They're liars. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Think about it. Fifty years had passed since Jesus had been ascended. Okay? Fifty years Jesus Christ has not come back to the earth that we know of that's recorded and spoken to his churches. Okay? Fifty years. Fifty years and the first thing he says to them, I'm with you. I'm walking among you. I know exactly what you've been doing. I always took that as a negative. I've always read these verses negatively. I realized, oh, I got this terrible bias. Oh, I see what you're doing, Byron. You're not doing that that well. You better straighten up, boy. That's how I would read this stuff. That is not what he was saying. He's saying 50 years I've been gone, and this is the first thing. I've not left you. I was here all the time with you i see what you're doing. I love what you're doing. I, I'm with you in what you're doing. That's what he wants us to hear. He wants us to see that part of his heart that we don't walk in the door thinking he's angry with us and we reject it. And I'll tell you, religion will make you feel that way and the world will make you feel that way. It will make you feel like you've got to measure up. He wants you to know he's already happy and loves you and is with you. So don't read the Bible like he's angry. Don't read these stories like God's against us. Like he's out to get the church. He's out to help us. He's out to encourage us. He's out to draw us in to himself. That's his first and foremost thing. I really believe that with all my heart. So I know your works reveals his empathy. Right, in other words, I've walked in these places that you walked. God really has a lot of empathy in him. Right? And it's interesting. Listen, y'all. It's interesting. The first thing, if you go back to chapter 1, I think it's verse 13 or so, or maybe something else. But it's in chapter 1. When John first saw Jesus standing in the midst of the churches, the first thing he described was this. He described what he was wearing. Listen, that's important. He described what he was wearing because he was wearing the high priest clothing. And that was the first thing that John wanted us to know. Jesus is a high priest that's been touched by what you've been touched by. He has walked on this earth and felt this hurt and felt this pain and felt all this, and he gets it. I think it's powerful. See, all that to me, is, is, there's so much more power in that than the way I used to think about it. There's power in knowing that God is with me and that God knows how I feel and he has empathy and he cares about how I feel. And he knows what I've been doing, and he's not angry about what I've been doing. Yeah, he's got some issues, but he don't want to address those right away. He wants to really comfort and encourage and reach out to us. He really does, you know. Ooh, so, you know, here's the thing. If we could see the book of Revelation different, possibly we could see our lives and our situation on earth differently. That's that's the whole point of what I'm trying to tell you. If we could begin to see this differently, understand this differently, I believe we would begin to see what's happening to us personally, in our families, our situations, differently. Oh, we could see, oh, gas is going up. Woe is us. We could see, oh, gas is going up. I know the Lord has an answer. He's with me. He's going to show me how to deal with this. See, that's how God wants the church to think. There's an answer for every problem on this earth. He's looking for us to release that answer. I wanted to read this one final scripture and I'm going to be done. Are y'all happy? Everybody should stand up and cheer, right? (laughs) This goes all the way to the end of Revelation because this is God's goal for us. This is God's goal, y'all. This is what he's working through. All the bad stuff that you begin to read about famines and... Weird horses with pale green colored horse. Have you ever seen a pale green horse? Like, oh God, what kind of horse is that? If a pale green horse shows up, I suggest you take off. I would run if I saw a pale green horse. I, because I say, that horse is vomit, man. But this is what he says. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear. That's God's God. Get all the, the tears. And there shall be no more death nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And see, all of this stuff that's going on is how God has to get us to this moment where all of that is done. And that's his dream for us. And he, as he showed the church, I'm going to get you through this. I will get you to the other side if you can begin to know me different and see me different. And, be, and listen, let's line ourselves up with what the Word of God says, not what we think and not what's happening in this world. Yeah. That's how we do this. We line ourselves up with what it says. We begin to speak that instead of speaking and magnifying all the problems. Now, I'm telling you, stop magnifying the problems in your life. Stop magnifying the problems in the world and don't be an accuser. Yeah. Don't accuse people of something. Stop that. Bless those who curse you. When you begin to speak blessings on them, something will happen. And we had to not partake in the ministry of Satan, which is he is the accuser. And I feel hear accusations constantly about you know just bad stuff all the time. Here's another thing I'm just gonna tell y'all that really irritates me. Okay? Christians are declaring something that's not good. They're declaring in three years, a bunch of people are going to die from the vaccine. And my p- opinion on that? Well, I ain't heard of Jesus say that. I'm not agreeing with that. Now, it, on a natural level, it may be true. I don't know. I ain't no doctor. We could ask Dr. Sammy. He might could give us some insight on that. But I'll tell you this: I am not declaring anybody's dying from anything. I'm going to declare people are going to live. And I think we need to begin to do that because there's enough of the declarations that are negative about vaccines or about anything, really. You know, you, you know my mama, this is what she used to say to me. Baron, you're going to catch pneumonia if you don't get a coat on. Because I would go outside in 15-degree weather and it's like, huh, what are you talking about? And I always say, well, I ain't going to catch no pneumonia, mama. I'm impervious to it. I don't get that. That's not my deal, you know? But that was a mama, right? You know how mama, they get carried away. But see, we got to we gotta begin to change what we're saying, okay? And the way you change what you're saying is you begin to believe something different. You begin to see instead of, yeah, that thing could kill some people. Probably has. I wouldn't doubt it. But I'll tell you what, I think the Lord has an answer. And I'm going to tap into his answers for the world. You know, and besides, I have people that I love dearly has taken that jab. I'm not going to declare they're going to die in three years. I'm going to say, no, it ain't, going, it ain't working for them. Mm. No, sir, I'm not going to do it. Are you all okay? <laughs> I'm just saying, if we'll change the way we believe, we change the way, we, and it'll change the way we think, we can begin to speak things that will bring the, bring life into the world, bring the tree of life into the world. You know, and you know what I'm saying. That's that's what I want to do, y'all. So, amen. So, let's just stand up and we can go have barbecue. Yeah, sure,
1: come on. So, yesterday I was hiking with a friend. Lenora burning some of you know her and she has these amber colored glasses and when she was wearing them she's like whoa the color seems so bright and so crisp and so much more deep when you're wearing these glasses she's like I love these amber glasses and it it made me think about this when you were preaching about how do you see things so I just want to ask the Lord to give us his glasses that when we put those on, we see things through the lens of how he sees them. Our identity, how he sees us, we see ourselves that way. And when we look at the world, we look at the hurt, we look at the injustices, we look at the, um, the things we don't understand, that we have the glasses of the Lord. They're kind of like amber colored glasses. Or some people say, Rose, you see life through rose colored glasses. Some people put that down. But really, we want the Lord to give us those glasses to say, that. how are we going to see things through the lens of how he sees them? And how are we going to deal with them? And how are we going to be his voice to the world and voice of hope and voice of reason and voice of justice, his justice? And so, Lord, we just ask right now that you would give us your glasses, that we would see the world how you want it. We would see kingdom come here on earth. We would see the justice in your ways of justice the way you want us to see it. In Jesus' name, so we ask for those glasses right now, and we believe, Lord, that you can help us to see the things the way you see them and deal with them through the way you would deal with them, not just in our own heart, in our own reasoning, but, Lord, through your reasoning. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.
0: Now, just remember, faith does not deny facts. It does not deny any fact. What it does, it appeals to something higher. That's what faith does. It sees something higher. So there can be facts given all day long that are terrible. Well, if you back drive by a gas station, that's a fact. It's more expensive. I mean, there's, there's no denying that, and you will find out for sure it's true when you put gas in your car and pay for it. But faith sees something greater. That's what we're talking about is seeing something greater. Jesus saw something greater in these churches. He saw a bride... Fully equipped, fully adorned, ready to marry him. That's what he saw. And he operated from that perspective. He lived from that perspective. If you and I will begin to do that, it's like she said, put on those glasses, then we can begin. I think we can change things. I think we can shift things. I, I'm going for that. So God bless you. And if you're a visitor today, thank you for coming. And if you want to join us for the barbecue, please do. There's plenty of barbecue and it'll be fun. To, you got kids, you can they play and all that good stuff, you know, hang out. So if you want let's, to, well, let's bring the ministry team up here. And if anybody needs prayer for anything, healing or, you know, deliverance, or just for the Lord to give you a fresh touch from heaven, these guys will lay hands on you and you will certainly, I promise you they'll impart something good to you
1: today. Amen. God bless you.